I'm Christy Gupton, and I'm an Employee Benefits Advisor. Welcome to Healthcare Solutions, a podcast where we explore innovations in healthcare, cost containment strategies, and employee well-being. We'll discuss every way possible to turn our healthcare system back into the kind of environment where patient care comes first and costs go down as a result. I invite you to join me to hashtag Let's Fix Healthcare. Doug Aldean is an ERISA attorney who spends an awful lot of time defending the people who are just asking to be billed fairly for healthcare services. Whether it's an employer needing help striking a direct contract with a provider in their neck of the woods, or if it's an employee who's being billed in a predatory fashion, Doug is your ally. Based in Austin, Texas, Doug runs, swims, and loves a good plate of Mexican cuisine. In his bio, he professes his strong belief in God. I think that's why he's called to stand up for the underdog. Let's face it, it's a very Christ-like thing to do. Enjoy today's conversation with ERISA attorney extraordinaire, Doug Aldine. On our last episode. Absolutely. You know, setting up, setting up a direct contract, either on a professional or a facility-based contract, is pretty straightforward. Um, and like you said, I mean, if you've got, you know, two willing parties that, you know, want to get to the right spot, that's mutually beneficial. I mean, great things can happen. So, I mean, I, I do a lot of it and, and you got to have two, you got to have two willing parties. And so when you start looking at the landscape, why do a lot of these hospital systems buy up doctors? Because they're, they control the whole thing. And so, you know, to be a doctor, I mean, if I was in that boat, I, I would want to be an independent person because that way you're driving your own ship and you're not, you're not having to, you know, count down to a health system. Sure. I know. I, I can, I can totally see how what we know today about suicide rates in doctors that, you know, sort of lead every industry in this country, and which is very tragic by the way. Um, yeah, but it is. It happens. Well, let's just say they moved into that top spot, that unenviable top spot, uh, and that particular tragic statistic um, post ACA. And I don't think that's by accident. Do you? No. Because what no, when you start looking at, yeah. What happened? I don't want to think about it. I mean, past, it gave those hospitals the license to steal, basically. It did. And so, you know, I just, I feel like I really want to see direct primary care grow, of course, because I've been on record saying that, you know, that is the, the, the smartest um, cost containment strategy. And if you get it in place first, everywhere that you can, so right. many other things just fall into place by default. And now for more with Doug Aldean. Well, think about it. You're not showing up the ER with a heart attack. I mean, presumably you've been seeing your doctor, the high blood pressure, the cholesterol, all of those things have been taken care of before you have the, the heart attack at 12 o'clock at night. I mean, so. Right. Yeah. Right. When you, when you don't have to um, get caught up in a system of waiting lists and waiting rooms and <laughs> And all the other um, hassles, the barriers to 
um, having a your personal physician on speed dial. That's what I call direct primary care is having your personal physician on speed dial. And when you have that, you start to tackle your chronic disease. And, and you're right, a health plan couldn't find an, an easier and a better cost containment strategy uh, than direct primary care. And, and to the extent that- And affordable, and affordable. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and when they can um, use direct primary care as a jumping off point for a whole new world of uh, direct contracts with their community um, providers, gosh. It makes me excited and hopeful for the future <laughs> in a time where there's a lot that, you know, sometimes I worry about. I can get bogged down with, um, you know, the anxiety of the day, but that kind of scenario right there gets me all excited and looking, looking for a bright future, you know, to come along. Mm -hmm. I, I would agree hundred percent. I mean, I'm having conversations with health systems today that I thought literally were, would never be possible eight months ago, solely based on they're looking for cash, they're looking for more. I mean, because think about it, if you're a CFO at a hospital, you can build a nice business around 200% of Medicare. Exactly. No co-pays, you're not chasing Christine Doug around for $81. I mean, no co-pays, no deductibles. You can build a nice continuing revenue stream that you can count on around something like that, as opposed to the charge master game. You know, which is just, I mean, it's just insane. I don't think it's speculation on my part to assume that the hospital CFO doesn't like the insurance companies any more than, you know, they like, e I don't think that they like each other all that much because it's a contentious relationship. And I think once mm -hmm. it starts to unravel, the community benefits from that. Without a doubt. I mean, because you think about it, I mean, Carl Schuster likes to call it the cartel, which, I mean, I, I tend to believe, but when you look at the hospitals, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Turbocharge your rates, you can turbocharge the premiums. If you look at the stock prices for all the publicly traded insurance carriers, I mean, they've gone through the roof. I mean, a thousand percent. I mean, they far exceeded the S&P index. Um, there's a number of health systems that, you know, have billions of dollars in investment income. I mean, it's just it's been the biggest redistribution of wealth, Chrissy, this country's ever seen. Hey, wealth and property, right? I mean, and pro oh, yeah. plenty of property grabs that have flown under the radar that a lot of people don't know about. Um, even, you know, our buddy Marilyn Bartlett did a project that I'm not sure we'll ever see the light of day, but I mean, she outed some hospital systems for having offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands. Think about that. And, you know, a lot of you, think about that. You have offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands with billions of dollars, you know, growing, but yet you're the largest employer in, you know, in a certain area and the largest landowner. And, and pay no yeah. tax. Zero. Oh, okay. Let's explore something off the cuff that I wasn't planning on talking about, but let's just talk about it. MTALA, okay. so MTALA was passed in the Reagan administration, right? 86. Okay. Um, that gave nonprofit uh, hospitals um, the chance to classify themselves as 
like a 501c3 or something like that, right? You know, I don't know about that. I do know that EMTALA requires, so if, if, you, if you have a emergency, they, they can't, they have to take you, regardless of whether you have money, whether you have insurance. If you show up in an ER, they have to take you. But they have to because they got to be exempt from taxes, right? That was the trade-off. I don't know if that's true. And I do know that, you know, your, the 501c3 and the, the not-for-profit hospitals has been around for a while. Now, I don't know exactly what all the machinations were with Intel. I just know that, and you could be right. I don't know. Um, oh, I'm no expert on that. But, I'm, I'm just, uh, yeah. I'm just. But yeah, but if you show up at a hospital and you're, you, you're, you have an emergency condition, they have to take you. So is there any talk anywhere about, hospitals, I mean, I hear some people talk about it, but just it's more complaining than anything else. But is there any talk at, at any level of authority in our government where a hospital that is truly abusing the good nature of their not-for-profit status and creating havoc in their community, like suing, you know, patients for um, these overcharged uh, procedures that, that they might have come and sought and have these surprise bills that come out of it? You know, is there any talk about hospitals having their not-for-profit status revoked because of those behaviors? You know, so I, believe it or not, I, I do, I do know that that the the Senate Finance Committee, which is led by Chuck Grassley, um, the the IRS oversees all of the not-for-profit hospitals, and I do know that that for fiscal year 2021, a lot of this market conduct is coming under increased scrutiny because you know you've got hospital systems suing people taking liens on homes for closing on the liens. i mean everything bad you could imagine of having an outstanding medical bill i mean there's some incredibly you know prestigious institutions uva you know um being one of them that engage in this type of activity because there's just there's a disconnect between you know the top brass and the people underneath it because you look at the incentives for those people to, to do that. I mean, they're making a small fortune off of your poor health. Right. And, and charging the, 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 the starting price was a fake made up price to begin with. Exactly. And, and then and, turn around and sue somebody because they can't pay the, the fake made up charge that you came up with out of the sky. It's, it's and think about this. Because if you look at 501R, Christy, there's a limitation of charges and it limits what you can charge in its AGB, amounts generally billed. So if you're eligible for financial assistance, the most the hospital can charge you is the amounts generally billed. And if you look at what those numbers are as a percentage of charges, I'm seeing single digits out there. So let's just take, for example, Summa Health in Toledo, Ohio, actually Akron. Um, they're 9.7%. So for every dollar they charge, what they're happy with and what they collect is 9.7 cents. They can, they can run a business on 9.7 cents, even though they're charging a dollar. You know, Doug, people just don't know this. And I'm, mm -hmm. I am so excited we're, we're talking about it. Um, you know, I have this, I have this story from um, a couple years ago when my kid needed some labs and I 
as the not winning the mother of the year prize, I procrastinated on that. <laughs> yes. And I forgot about it. And, and the calendar reminder came up on my phone two days before this next appointment he had with this doctor who wanted the labs. And I panicked and I was like, oh gosh, where, where, where am I gonna get this done? So um, his pediatrician said, you're gonna have to go get that done at the hospital because you can't come here. We, you know, we, they, they sort of laughed at me and said, if you needed those labs, you should yeah. have So I called a DPC friend of mine in Asheville and I said, what would you do in my predicament? And he said, well, where's your nearest lab core? Well, duh, I didn't think about that. So I went over to LabCorp and, and, and before I went, he said, um, you know, if you don't mind, since we're not in a doctor patient relationship, um, if you'll just pay my costs, I'll be happy to order the labs for you. And you just go get them done and I'll send the report back to you and you'll be all set for your appointment. And so I, I was prepared to hear him say that his costs were like a hundred dollars. <laughs> no, no. Right. His costs were fifteen dollars for three different labs. Five dollars a piece. Think piece. about that. Think about right. that. So yeah. we get we got it done, and of of course I said, of course I will pay your cost. That's a no-brainer. Send me to your front desk lady. I'll pay for it over the phone. After I got my kid back to school, my I started thinking. And I called the hospital just because I was curious. If I had had these labs done at the hospital, like my, his former pediatrician uh, told me to do, what would it happen? Yeah. So I was on this little secret shopper, um, you know, detective project. And I called them up. Turns out they were going to charge me $951. Holy cow those three labs and here's what they were uh a1c a complete metabolic panel and a the other one that's just real common um mm -hmm. a lipid panel stupid money for three easy stupid money well, well think about this think about you know you, you have a self-funded plan being administered okay by a blue a blue united signet at Indiana. And you're getting a 20 or 25% discount. But what's happening, you think about the markup for RX supplies and implants. I mean, I'm seeing 25X. So 25,000 when somebody should be 1,000. And you're getting a 20% discount. I mean, so the insurance company's getting rich, the hospital's getting rich, and you are paying through the nose. I mean, and you think about it, and the hospital doesn't make the drug, they don't manufacture their it's like me charging you $40,000 to run down to CVS and get you a bottle of aspirin. And you're like, Doug, I'm happy to pay you 15, but not 40,000. I mean, yeah. All right. At some point, common sense has got to enter this equation. So, um, it does. I just think that the more employers that have, uh, ASO agreements with the Bucas to run their self-funded health plans, Gosh, I, I really want to shake you guys into, or as Dr. Keith Smith um, told me uh, when I had him on the podcast a few episodes ago, that they need to wake up with the smelling salts. You know, we need to get the smelling salts out. And yes. Wake yeah. up with 
coma. I really hope that that's going to start happening. And like you say, with with these with the new transparency bill and some of the new um, things that are going to come out of that, maybe that gives them the information they need to wake up. I would agree. And people like yourself who can actually educate people, go under the hood and really get into the granular details. I mean, that's the key. I mean, because a lot of these guys, when you look at the information, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Okay. So I want to hear a good story. We've, we've talked about things that need to be fixed enough. So I want you to tell me a happy story. Give me an idea of a project you jumped into and you made some change and good things happened because of it. Boy. Let's think about that for a second. You know, I would say this. I would say um, there is an incredible opportunity out there, I believe, for, you know, to do a, a number of things with hospitals, which obligates them to honor their charitable commitment. Because I think there's a, you could take any group that's going to have a certain segment of that population that's going to qualify for financial assistance. And I think that so what are one of the things I'm working on now is what if you front load that information into your system? So in other words, you're qualifying somebody initially based on income, what the FAP provides, and you qualify them up front. So you do the work for the hospital, you know, not say force them, but you know, helps them fulfill their their charitable mission. Because ultimately when you think about it, what's happening is I may qualify for financial assistance. But in the eight or 12 months it takes me to get there, I'm balanced, built into oblivion. You know, I'm just trying to recover from the car accident. Okay. I'm just, I really can't handle it. Maybe my credit's trashed. Who knows? But if you could do that up front, based on the hospital's financial assistance policy, you, you can honestly circumnavigate the whole thing, help the hospitals fulfill their mission. Because I think that right there, to be honest with you, Christy, is going to be one of the biggest things the IRS is going to look at over these next couple of years is how much are hospitals really spending on charity care? Because you can look at a hospital's financials. You're making billions of dollars, but yet less than 1%, less than 2% is actually allocated for charity care. I mean, I mean, it makes you think, how can that possibly be? You're telling me there's only one or 2% in West Virginia or rural Arkansas that qualify for financial assistance. I don't believe that. No. Yeah. No. And, it, and in my neck of the woods, you know, I'm, I'm in rural Western North Carolina mountain territory. Yeah. Right? And so I'm confident that people just don't know about this. Um, they don't. And, it, and it's something that hospitals honestly do a terrible job at, advertising, broadcasting, helping. I mean, because really what should be happening on the hospital side is they should be helping you and me. They should be helping you facilitate it in whatever way it should be, but they don't. I mean, it's really kind of a game of cat and mouse, three card Monty, you know, is it like 18 clicks on a website? How do you get to it? I mean, it's just, it's not, you're not fulfilling, in my view, your mission right. in a well-intentioned way. Yeah. You know, 
when I first met you, it was in Dallas uh, just about a year ago. Yes, and we it were, was. Yeah, we were both at the Health Rosetta Summit. And um, I get, again, I was starstruck by a, another, you know, rock star in our industry, um, Dr. Marty McCary. He had a fabulous presentation that he made. He did. Um, and if I hadn't already read his book by that time, I would have read it again. <laughs> and I probably will, you know, next time I have two seconds to myself. Um, but, you know, his overarching point was that doctors really needed to stand up and return to their roots and akin to what you've just said, um, going back to the, the community benefit um, and yes. standing up for the do no harm um, oath. Financially and physically. That's right. Right. Because there is financial harm happening every day in this system. So, you know, I happen to think that there are plenty of doctors who would ordinarily be standing on the right side of history with that, but I think they feel so downtrodden because the administrators that are running the hospital, the, you know, the, I guess for a lack of a better word, the, the more financial uh, management people, the, the CEO of the hospital that has an MBA, not an MD, right? Right. And, it's like doctors have been banished from being able to actually run the hospital in their community. You know, do you have any comments on why that has happened or, or what the chronologically, how the history played out? Is there any chance for that to return? Physician led organizations know, have a better opportunity to serve the community than one that is just solely um, financially driven. You know, I do, I do believe that the independent docs are going to see a resurgence. It's going to take some time. Uh, I do a lot of work with the ortho forum, which is about 20% of the orthopedic surgeon market and across the U S. So they're all independent docs, um, never sold out to a health system, you know, may work with each other, but I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're an independent group of docs. Um, but, you know, working inside provider-sponsored HMOs for 10 years, you know, working with doctors is like herding cats. I mean, you've got, I mean, it's just, it's a difficult process. Um, but ultimately, when you think about it, those are the guys that drive the bus. They're the ones providing the care, you know, and they should be driving the bus. I mean, it shouldn't be Doug or Christy. It should be the doctors driving the bus. Um, and I, and I think we're eventually going to get back to it because I mean, I don't think there's any way other than that. I really don't. Because otherwise you've got bean counters running the show and that doesn't, you know, and that's provided, you know, a, a not real good result. Yeah. You know, a, a, a while back, I don't want to say it was maybe a year and a half ago, maybe two years at the most. Um, uh, our mutual buddy who we've already mentioned uh, so far, Carl Schusler, posted this article on LinkedIn about um, rural hospitals closing. Yeah. And as bad as that is, and I, I think it's another one of the um, tragic outcomes of 
of uh, you know modern healthcare that too much consolidation is happening in rural hospitals are having to shut their doors. And sort of a, I guess a moment of clarity, I thought, you know what, maybe it's not all bad. If, they're, if they've been mismanaged or they haven't figured out how to make it financially in you know, in a big hospital world, a small hospital having to operate in a big hospital world, if they haven't just you know rolled up their sleeves and really figured it out and they have to close, maybe if it stays you know empty for a, a short period of time, we will come up on a day where a group of physicians can go back in and, and buy that property back out from under whatever you know real estate insurance trust owns it and open it back up under new management, right? Do you think, do you think that's yeah. that possible? You know, I, I, think, I think anything is possible in, in this environment. I mean, I think that, you know, when you start looking like, for example, Congress just recently got rid of the antitrust protections that insurance companies have. Yeah. And I, so I, I think, I mean, because you, you think about what we're looking at. I mean, we're, really, we're looking at a health, safety, and welfare issue. I mean, you can't have people in Western North Carolina not having access to physicians and hospitals. You just can't. I mean, heart attacks, all the things that happen in life, you need to have some level of care there. Now, how you get there, I don't know, but I think anything is possible and nothing is off the table. Well, Doug, I could sit here and talk to you forever. I mean, we could- Likewise, this has been fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) We'll have to um, come up with a few more juicy tidbits and have a sequel sometime and, and just, you know, catch back up with each other on a pretty frequent basis. But for now, I'll, I'll sign off and just say thank you. And, you know, with folks like you out there helping employers and, and providers strike direct contracts with each other and do business in a transparent and cash-based way, you know, a willing buyer and a willing seller just coming together with somebody like a Doug and, and somebody like Christy at their, at their side to help advise them. That's it right there. (laughs) Then uh, the future is bright. And so I'm just so thankful for the work you're doing and thanks for spending this time with us today. And Christy, thank you so much. You have a good weekend. Okay. All right. You too. Okay. Bye. Thank you for joining our important discussion as we attempt to hashtag let's fix healthcare. Please subscribe to our podcast and let us know what you think. For more information on the work we do at Custom Benefit Solutions, visit our website at www.custombenefits.com. Dot work.